Those are big words that we just sang. It's like that song, uh, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below. Are, are we? Are we? Because we don't live that way, amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 21. I have a Mother's Day message this morning. But first, I got a question. What, what makes a great message? What makes a great message? Is it when the preacher gets excited? Maybe, maybe when the preacher's real sincere? Maybe when the preacher gets angry and he's screaming and yelling? And Does that make a good message? What makes a good message? Is it, is a good message? Is, is it when you agree with what the preacher's saying? Is that what makes a good message? Is it when you agree with what the preacher's saying? Is it, is it if the song service was to, to your approval, does that make a good message? What makes a great message? It's when the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart. And how does the Spirit of God move on somebody's heart? Well, that person has to allow God to move in their heart. So then what makes a great message? If two or more gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. So if God's already here, what makes a great message? Well, you've got to allow him to come into your heart. You've got to allow him to move in your heart. So the factor in what makes a great message isn't really the preacher as long as he's preaching God's word. The factor in what makes a great message is you. Are you going to open up your heart this morning to what the Word of God has to say? Not what the presentator has to say, what the preacher has to say, or what the pastor has to say. Because my jokes are not good. They're just not good. They're getting worse as the years go on. What makes a great message is whether you're willing to let God do a work in your heart this morning. That's the difference of a great message or not. Anybody that walks away this morning says that wasn't a great message. It's because you didn't allow God to work in your heart. As long as we're preaching the word. So what makes a great message? Your attitude. People come to the house of God before they even get here. Already with walls up thinking, I'm not going to allow God to do nothing because I already got my opinion. I like or don't dislike the pastor. Uh, I don't like Jim Vipon. He makes me mad. So I'm just going to have a bitter attitude. Just try to avoid him all day. What makes a great message? Our attitude towards the moving of the Holy Spirit. It could be an attitude of uh, maybe you're not saved. You're not going to like any message if you're not saved. You're just not. There's going to be conviction. And, and, and how you react to the conviction of the Holy Spirit will determine not only your eternity, but the next 30 minutes. Maybe we should start this message with an attitude of prayer. You say, well, we always pray. Some, you always have someone pray before the message. Absolutely we do. And we pray before the service starts. And Lord willing, we're praying at home before we even come here. So, so we're going to pray. And, and, and I'll ask Brother John Shine 
to, to open up this message in a word of prayer, but it would be far better if we would pray to ourselves as well. And if our heart's not where it ought to be, to say, Lord, help me to have a, an, an open heart, Lord, a heart of flesh this morning that you can mold me and help me to learn from your word in spite of the presentator this morning. Would you pray for us, Brother John? going to our message, can we just take a moment to acknowledge all the mothers who have passed away? Thank God that He gave us the capacity to have the precious memories of them. Not all of us have our mothers today. My dad's going to lose his mama probably in two weeks. Less than two weeks. Less than less than a week ago, they gave her two weeks to live. Mother's Day for my dad is going to be a little different than the average person. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will, I, uh, Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. See, that's talking about the rapture, sure. But if your mother passed away and she knew the Lord, you're going to get to see her again. That's pretty special. And that makes a vast difference of never going to see her again. As opposed to spending eternity with them. I thank God for His salvation. Uh, we get so used to it. We get so used to it. Because we're raised in it. We live in it. We're just so used to God's grace and His promises that we take them for granted. And we get to see loved ones gone before. That promise alone ought to get us excited. There's sadness now. That's only temporary. There's literally a day coming when God's going to wipe away all of our tears. That's another promise alone we could stand on and say, thank God for that. Revelation 21, 4, and God shall wipe away all the tears from, the, from their eyes. There should be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I was working with my dad on a deck on Friday, a rainy, the only rainy day I chose to work with Friday. You know, wisdom was not in my bag, apparently, Brother Tony. <clears throat> but we were working, and my dad was saying how he wished his dad was there. My grandpa was a carpenter, and he passed away a number of years ago. My grandpa got saved right at the end of his life. He was a Catholic all of his life, but then he got saved. Why? Because he started reading his Bible and realized what salvation was. Amen. Most important thing. And my dad started talking about grandpa, and I said, you know, dad, 
you know, there might be a day where we're going to get to work on a deck with, 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 with Grandpa. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, no. I said, I'm embellishing a little bit. This isn't, I'm embellishing a little bit. But let's look at some facts. If you're born again, you spend eternity with Christ. So all the loved ones and everyone that's ever been born again who's accepted the promise of the Son of God, right? Who's accepted that, uh, the, the, the hope of salvation through the Son of God, we'll get to see in heaven for eternity. Like, I mean, all of them. King David, Paul, the 12 disciples. We're going to get to spend eternity with them. But there's also a millennial reign for a thousand years. And God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And this earth is going to be, she's going to change it all. It's going to burn it all up. It's going to be a new earth. We're going to live here for a thousand years. Fact. I'm not embellishing that. But here's just, just a thought. This is Dan Gunther just talking to his dad building a deck. If we're going to live here for a thousand years and God's going to make us kings and priests. That, that's authority positions. And, and however things are going to be for that thousand years, I don't know. But I'd like to think, this is a fact, I'd like to think. That's going to be a Garden of Eden type state, like the original plan for mankind and what, 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 what I shouldn't say original plan, what God wanted for mankind. Enjoy a thousand year lifetime in a Garden of Eden like state. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating and embellishing. And, and I don't know all what's going to happen in that thousand years. I know it's going, to, it's going to happen, but I don't know all what's going to happen in that thousand years. But in that thousand years, it may not be out of the question to be doing a job with my grandpa and my dad. My dad's not going to be around forever. Just something to think about. It's a little encouraging, amen. A little encouraging. Amen. A thousand years, let alone eternity. We're going to spend, I believe, more time in eternity thinking, man, we could have told so many more people about the love of Christ. Man, I only told that many people. I worked with them for 20 years and never gave them the gospel. Two points this morning. Number one, Bathsheba messed up. It's going to rub people the wrong way. That's okay. Number one, Bathsheba messed up. Turn to Second Samuel eleven two. Second Samuel eleven two. I'm realizing now. I told Rachel to take uh, Revelation twenty one off the off the thing. Oh, you left it on there. Good. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. And it came to pass in at evening tide that David arose uh, from off his bed. Brothers, Alars, I need to look into that later. Evening tide, David arose off his bed. I need to look into that. Amen. That's interesting. <clears throat> and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not that Bathsheba, the daughter of uh, Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. We know the story. Bathsheba gets pregnant. David has her husband Uriah murdered, killed on purpose. He sent a message in, in, in the battle and, and told everybody to move uh, back all at once and, and literally leave Uriah 
uh, himself to be murdered that he murdered him is what happened. He tried to make it look like it wasn't such a murder, but everybody knew what happened and why. We know that story. And it was a great sin. And we can talk about Bathsheba being a victim or not. But we don't know how much she was involved with the sin. Did David rape her? You know, for one, Bathsheba was on a rooftop washing herself. Why was she out in the open where anybody could just see her? You know, we think of Bathsheba as just, uh, David did her wrong, and he did. But she, was, she, was, she might not have necessarily been just a complete victim. So now Bathsheba's pregnant. Her husband's dead. David really messed up. He's the one that initiated this. He's the one that made it happen. However involved Bathsheba was, David is absolutely, uh, uh, he's the authority. He's the one that uh, made it happen or at least forced it to happen. So what now? Now Bathsheba has baggage. For the rest of her life, she'd spend every day with the guilt of sin, not only for committing adultery, but for being the reason her husband and her baby boy died. She literally ruined her life in one flail swoop, as well as David. I mean, just took everything that, all his reputation, right in the dump. Both of them. Don't think there's not consequences for our sins. You have to turn there. Revelation 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall also he reap. That's a big verse to take in. Because every one of us right now, we're thinking of the sins we've committed in our lives. Isaiah said, Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. My dad always taught me that character is what you do when no one else is looking. David found himself in a backslidden state, in a place where he shouldn't have been, looking at things that he shouldn't be looking at, which gave him thoughts that he shouldn't have even been thinking about, which encouraged him to act on adultery, which then encouraged him to murder his mistress's husband. And God took action. And ended the life of the child that was born in sin. If you think that your actions don't have consequences, think again. Numbers 32, 23 says, You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sins will find you out. These are some heavy verses. Number one, Bathsheba messed up. You say, why are you focusing on Bathsheba? David messed up too, 100%. He's the authority in this, in, the, in, in this scenario. But number one, Bathsheba messed up. Number two, Bathsheba's resolution. And here, this is 
this is what matters. Whatever we, however we mess up, it's your resolution. We're talking about Bathsheba this morning because it's Mother's Day. We could talk about David's resolution too. You know what? David messed up. But boy, he had a good resolution. He confessed his sins before God. He, man, he, he didn't quit on God. Boy, he served him and he loved the Lord. It sure messed up his ministry. It sure messed up his testimony. But he didn't quit on God. And God did great things through David. Great things. Number one, Bathsheba messed up. Number two, Bathsheba's resolution. Did Bathsheba quit living? Did she stay in her room and not come out? Did she ignore everyone because of the consequences of her sin were just too much for her to bear? She didn't want everybody to see her. She didn't want to face the music. I have met people. I used to travel and sing or play whatever for years, a lot of years. And um, I'm going to take this. Somebody give this to me. I'm going to take it. Thank you. Um, and, uh, but I also did side work for homeowners for a lot of years. And a lot of times they go hand in hand. So I did a lot of work for church people. You know how many times I'd be in people's houses and we're just talking about church. And they'd be like, oh yeah, I haven't been to church in 10 years. I haven't been to church in 20. Then you find out, well, man, what, how, how come you haven't gone to church? Well, because that, you know, that preacher, he slept with so-and-so. I have been back to church ever since. Can we just take a step back and think, so the sins of one person is going to affect how you serve the Lord for the rest of your life. People say things like that. I had one guy, and I'm not even making this up, it probably been probably in the 25-year mark. When I was a child, I went to church with this gentleman. I said, well, how come you haven't been back? He goes, you know what? I've gone to these other churches. He goes, but that preacher hardly ever shakes my hand. And I said, brother so-and-so, I said, you're not, you're not coming in right on time, are you? And leaving right when service is over, are you? I said, you know there's 100 people in there. You can't get your hand every time. So are, are we looking for a reason not to? And then that's what people do. Oh, I'm not going to church because that preacher. I'm not going to church because that one family member offended me that one time. I, I can't get over it. I just can't go to church anymore. Because of the sin of one person? Are you kidding me? But that's what we do. And we justify that. You can justify anything you want. Oh, I've had people justify things. Amen. 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 Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Can we look at what David wrote about the role of a mother? Let's look at what David wrote about the role of a mother. Well, we know David's resolution. Yeah, he messed up real bad. He's the authority here. He, I mean, he really messed up. Man, his resolution was wonderful, man. He, he ended serving God. Yeah, his, his, his reputation was tarnished. His ministry was never the same. But he didn't quit on God. This is what he wrote about the role of a mother. He said, my son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Who's David talking about here? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. David's telling his son, you'd be very wise to heed what she has to say. Jump over to Proverbs 29, 15. Proverbs 29, 15. 
David also had this to say. He said, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Boy, the role of a mom is important. The role of the mom is important. She spends more time with the children, by and large, than the father ever will have the opportunity to. Boy, it's important that our mothers train our children upright. The job of a mother is the most important job of all. David's bringing that to light. Did Solomon bring his mother to shame? No. (laughs) In fact, quite the opposite. Opposite. Bathsheba had the respect of her husband and her son. You say, well, how do you get respect from your spouse and your children? The answer is have a godly, consistent walk with God. Have a godly and consistent character. You say, Pastor Gunther, you're not a woman. You can't speak for what it is to be a good woman, to be a good mother. I can't. But I can point to how you can be a good mother. Boldly, and I can say that. It's not what makes a good message, because my presentation stinks. But it's what makes a good message. So let's see what God has to say about what it is to be a good mother. Let's just read some of Proverbs chapter 31. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he should have no need of spoil. So she, will, so she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. We're just looking at all kinds of things with the evening and the morning that I'm going to have to look into later. I'm really intrigued with that. Amen. But you see what's happening here. A good mama rises up while it's still dark out. Preparing for her family. Verse 6. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out, uh, not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands holdeth the staff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. See, a good mama is a hard worker. Not sitting around doing nothing. A good mama cares about her family and everything part of her family. 25, strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. She's busy. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and praiseth her. In my Bible, when you turn to Proverbs chapter 31, there's no verses. It just has a picture of Miss Rachel. She is a godly mother. She's a godly wife. And you might say to yourself, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I've messed up my life. I've done this and I've done that. I've had sex before marriage. 
I took part in fornication, or I took part in adultery. You might say I had an abortion. You know, God can use you no matter if you live just a, just a, 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 a wicked life. If you messed up over and over and over and over again. If you spend your entire life not being faithful, God can still use you. Whoever you're looking at on Facebook as the epitome of what a mother is or what a wife is. First of all, that's a false dichotomy, if I'm using that word right. That's not real. That's not real. You know what real is? Uh, Dirty underwear on the bathroom floor. Um, uh, Ducks that are stinking up the laundry room on a Sunday morning. You can't even breathe when you walk out the door. Trash that was forgotten to be taken out. Shoes that stink that weren't put away. Dishes that weren't put away. Whatever it is. I'm not going to mention anything besides the, beside the bed on my side. That's not getting in the message. But reality is everything doesn't wind up perfect. It never does. You know when you build a house, the carpenter comes in, the, the foundation isn't perfect. It is sometimes it's all by an inch. What are the masons doing? It's not hard. You just got to level it up to level it. Make everybody else's job so much the better. But you got to come in and you got to compensate for what's there. People quit on God because they had this expectation, I can't mess up. Or Because when they do, they quit. They're done. I got my feelings hurt and I acted wrongly. I, I, I did a knee-jerk reaction. I was wrong. Pick a thing. Pick a sin. And then you, think you're, then, then you tell yourself somehow, God could never use me. God used David. And God used Bathsheba. I mean... <laughs> You want to pick a Bible character that wasn't perfect? Name any one of them. Amen. It don't matter what you've done, you can always end well. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 6. Matthew chapter 1 verse 6. You can be victorious in your walk with Christ no matter what your past is. Man, I find comfort in that. I am so thankful that we serve a forgiving and a gracious God. Because if it weren't for that, we'd be in a lot of trouble, Miss Jessica. I, I, <laughs> oh, Rachel knows me more than anybody. And she could probably tell you stories about how dirty it is by my side of the bed. I won't bring that up when it comes Father's Day. Amen. But you can always end well. Did you know Rahab the harlot? We know what she was known for. But you know, she put her trust in Christ. Bathsheba, boy, she, she messed up whether, whether it was all her fault. It wasn't all her fault. Whether, it was, whether she allowed it to happen, whether she was forced to, she could have she let that dictate how she served God. But did you know that God used her Bathsheba and Rahab to the lineage of Christ. What an honor that is. What an honor that is. 
Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. And Jesse begat David, and David the king uh, begat Solomon, uh, of her that had been the wife of Urias. You realize to mention a woman in a lineage, uh, it was, that didn't happen in those days. Was, you only named the men. Bathsheba and Rahab of one of only a few. There might be, I think there's a couple more. One of only a few that are mentioned in the, in the lineage of Christ. Don't ever say that God doesn't love women. Christianity is, is negative towards women. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Now, who did Christ see first in his resurrected body? A woman. Amen. Uh, God is wonderful to women. Amen. Christianity is wonderful to women. But Bathsheba, she's in the lineage of Christ. She chose a godly resolution to her life instead of using her sin as an excuse to quit on God. There's all kinds of women in the Bible. Ruth was a blessing. God used Esther to save his people. God used Rahab, a harlot. God used Bathsheba, an adulterer. And it's a shame to be in sin. It's a shame to be caught in sin. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Pick any of them. Noah, man, he committed sexual acts. Can you, it's hard, like, can you believe it? Noah, I'm like, really? Really? Can you imagine God sitting back thinking, really, dude? Really? Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Paul the Apostle, was, was, uh, he tortured Christians. Tortured them. Madly. He did it angrily. Man, God used those men in some great ways. Their past sin didn't dictate their fervency for Christ. Oh, it'll change your testimony. Particularly when you get saved and then you mess up. Boy, that'll just ruin your testimony. But God can still do great things with you. Your resolution doesn't have to be to quit or to become a victim of your own sin. I see that so, so often. People just in the circle of their own symptom, of their own sin, complaining about their own sin because they keep doing what they're doing and they're not getting anything right. I'm going to stay bitter. I'm going to stay, look, I'm not going to hang out with those people. They're part of a certain clique. God has a permissive will for every one of us. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Jimmy. And that's me, and that's Eric and Cheryl, and Miss Jen and Miss Michelle and Jessica. We're all sinners, every one of us. But what we're really good at is saying, well, my sin's not as bad as his. So we're going to judge each other by that. We all mess things up. That doesn't mean that it's all over. Can you imagine how Eve felt looking back at her sin? Tempting Adam with sin. Imagine how Adam felt looking back. Man, I messed things up. We're all sinners. We all have baggage. Turn to 2 Samuel 12, 21. We'll close in about three minutes. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us has baggage. I don't care how long you've been saved, man. We could sit here and tell stories till the cows come home about how bad of sinners we are. But by the grace of God, we can tell stories about how gracious God is because we're such awful sinners. And that's where fellowship comes in. Amen.
We're all guilty of sin. That's why God sent us a Savior. Ever since uh, Eve, uh, Adam and Eve ate of that whatever apple or pear or golden orange, whatever you want to say it was, ever since then, our hope has been in the precious Lamb, Jesus Christ. He gave His life for all of mankind because we're all sinners. Fact like Bathsheba with the promise of salvation comes the promise to see our loved ones again who have accepted Christ. This is what David said about the child he had with Bathsheba that died. Verse uh, chapter Second Samuel twelve twenty one. It says, "Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou just fast and weep for the child while it was yet alive, but the child was dead. Thou just rise and eat bread." And he. <clears throat> Verse 22, and he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to, I shall go to him, but she, he shall not return to me. Bathsheba's going to see her son again. She'll probably see her dead husband again. We don't know for sure if he was saved. I like to think that he was. There's going to be a millennial reign on this earth for a thousand years. We're going to get to enjoy our loved ones that are gone before us. Bathsheba's going to see her little boy. David's going to see his little boy. Yeah, he was born in sin, but that child was still not a mistake. God allowed that child to happen. Bathsheba's resolution as a mother and a wife serve God is clearly reflected through her husband and her son. And what a blessing it is. In closing, what are you known for, Mom? What are you known for? When your children or your husband think of you, are they thinking she's serving God? Look at the character that she has. I could say to any Christian in the room or that's listening, what are you known for, Christian? Are you known for serving the Lord when they think, oh, that's Dan Gunther. When they think of us at work, Tony, what crosses their mind? Oh, there's that Tony. He wears glasses. There's Tony. I hear him singing all the time to himself. There's Tony, he always prays before lunch. There's Tony, always talking about the Lord. There's Tony, who's always positive, has something good to say. What are we known for? First verse, I believe it was the first verse that Rachel would teach any of our children, was Proverbs 20:11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether their works be pure, or whether they be... Right, we're all known for something. Turn to Matthew seven twenty two. We'll close right here. Maybe you're not known for anything. Maybe God doesn't even know you as one of His children. Coworker said to me, "We got a new coworker." He said to me the other day, "He goes, well, aren't we all God's children?" I said, "We are not. We're, we're really not." Matthew seven twenty two. Jesus said this. It's words in red. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. You realize that's religious people that believe that they're going to heaven. That's who we're talking about. Jesus said, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. God saying, I never knew you as part of the family. That ought to be a sobering thought if you never accepted Christ as your Savior this morning. Man, I'd want to get things right. It's not just a millennial reign where we're going to see saved loved ones gone before and we're going to spend a thousand years with them. I can't even fathom the greatness of that. Let alone eternity with loved ones gone before, eternity with uh, the Lord, with Jesus. Can you imagine the stories that are going to be told. You think we have good worship services? Try millions of people singing, I'm on the winning side with Jesus standing right there. We're going to be flat on our faces singing it, amen. And it'll be awesome. I hope you're there. Because there's going to be a lot of people that think they're going there, but they're not. Because they've never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They're trusting in church membership. They're trusting in denomination. They're trusting in whatever the preacher had to say. They're trusting in a prayer. Because a prayer doesn't save you. It's a heart attitude. It's giving your heart to Christ. Accepting Him. Realizing, hey, I need to repent of my sins. Where I'm going, I'm going to a place called hell. I want to be with Jesus forever. It's a spiritual birth that matters. You want to be a good mama? Read Proverbs 31. Amen. We serve a good God. I'm glad that He loves us. Glad that He loves mothers. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord.